Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ, I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the canteen. This is one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, we're taking a short break in between the conclusion of our Philippian series and jumping back into Luke in a couple weeks. Uh, Pastor Blake opens up John chapter 21 as we examine the idea of trust and how it can be rebuilt, looking at the example of the life of Peter and his restoration by Jesus. So let's listen in to Pastor Blake as he brings us this week's message. I'm Blake, and uh, I get to follow that. <clears throat> but uh, I want to encourage you to, to grab a copy of God's Word or your phone or follow along on the screen and find John 21. John 21. And uh, we're just going to open the Word this morning. And um, <laughs> a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And uh, I'm always amazed at how the Lord is... Man, he's so many steps ahead of us. And so I pray that as we open God's word, that it would be a blessing to you all uh, as it is to me. And, and just seeing how the Lord's worked Ron's story uh, and brought him to be a part of uh, our mission here at Christ Community Church. We just want to join Jesus in going out to make disciples. And it's been incredible to, to have him as, be part of the family. Um, a couple housekeeping things for our church family that I want to talk about and just kind of some things coming up. Um, first, it's that time of year where uh, we want to open up and extend to our covenant members. Uh, would, you, would you be uh, willing to identify the people in our midst who are serving, as, who are leading in such a way, maybe without the title of pastor, elders, or deacons? And, uh, and so over the next couple months, until we get to our annual meeting in, at the end of November, uh, we open up nominations for anybody that you see who's already serving in, in uh, those capacities in many ways, but um, that, that you would just say, yeah, I see this person leading, and, and I want to honor them and, and recommend them. You can do that at loveshelbyville.com slash leaders, slash leaders, all right? And, and if you're new with us today, know that loveshelbyville.com is a hub for us. It's got all kinds of news and what's next and all that good stuff, so make sure and, and use that. The other thing I want to tell you about is just kind of give you a sense of where we are. So Last week, some of y'all were with us. We got to go serve and love Shelbyville. It was an incredible day. Thank you all for uh, that came and served and prayed and, and went. It was, it was really just a blessing. And then we came back and we worshiped at Stargazer that night. It was a great weekend. And uh, this weekend, we're kind of in between uh, some series, some sermon series that we've been doing. And so uh, I'm sharing today from John 21, just a, a chapter that the Lord's been teaching me with. Next week, you'll get to hear from Kenny. And then two weeks from today, on October 15th, we're going to start a new series going back to the book of Luke called uh, Snapshots and Shovels. Snapshots and Shovels. And, uh, man, we're just going to be talking about this. There's pictures there in these chapters in Luke 10 and 11 of how God breaks new ground in our life and how he gives us new opportunities in ministry. And, and, um, and then he shows us kind of these things that we have to dig into if we want to join him in that, all right? So... Um, I want to let you know that that's what's coming up. But this morning, uh, as we open John 21, I want, to, I want to give you some some advance before we read the Word, right? Um, we're always at Christ Community uh, talking about what's next and, 
and what's coming, and we want to be excited to, to, to go be the church. But before we, before we read this, I want us to, to just look back for just a moment and recognize what's, what's kind of behind us. If you've been journeying with us, um, we've been in a series of sermons and in community group around the book of Philippians. And as we've gone through that book, um, as a pastor elder, I'm listening and watching and praying as the Lord begins to, make, begins to take many of you through some hard things, like low-level suffering type things as you step towards living with Christ and, and living more like Christ. And um, I think for many of us, even as seasoned Christians, when we begin to walk through those seasons, we have to ask ourselves again, do, can I trust the Lord? A little bit of what Ron was talking about, like, like can I trust him with my, with my next step? And so many of us are asking about this, this trust thing. Some of you are newer to the CCC family, or maybe it's your first time. You're just giving it a try this weekend. And we are excited to, to have you. And we don't know your story yet like we might know Ron's. But I would imagine that there's things going on in your life that, that have you wondering who and what to trust. Trust is this huge issue in our society, right? and it's at an all-time low in America. And so um, I want you to hear, if, if you're new, I want you to hear from me personally. You're in good company. <laughs> trust is hard. It's eating away at so many of the things that, that uh, help us to trust God and walk with Him. And so this, this morning's passage is one that God began speaking through uh, to me a few weeks ago about the areas in my life where, where I'm struggling to trust. Um, so whether you're having trouble trusting the news or a leader or the church, maybe you're having trouble trusting a friend, a family member, maybe even God, uh, this passage today wants to remind you that you can trust Jesus to reveal who you are by showing you how you can trust him. And with that, I want to I read God's word and, um, and pray. Uh, I'm going to ask you to all to stand just in honor of his word this morning. We're going to be reading from John 21. Story. Story about Jesus revealing himself to Peter. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, plunged into the sea, since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. 
And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he'd ask him the third time, do you love me? And so he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Jesus, just as you revealed yourself to Peter and the disciples on that shore, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. Teach us through your spirit. Humble us. Call us to yourself to follow you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. After this, it says in verse 1, after, after what? What had just happened in Peter's life in, in the last month or so? The, the nine chapters before John 21 tell us that in the last month or so leading up to this moment in Peter's life, a lot had happened. I mean, a lot. Jesus and his disciples had traveled to Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover, and Peter had been in Jesus' entourage as he rode into town on a donkey, and the people shouted, Hosanna. Peter was with Jesus, and Jesus was famous in that moment. And then Jesus selected Peter and his buddy John to go ahead of them and make preparations for this Passover meal that we now know is the Last Supper. This Peter guy was elite, best of the best, trusted by Jesus. But at that supper, Peter had insisted upon his loyal love to Jesus. But despite Peter's passion and his commitment, Jesus told him at that dinner, you're going to deny me three times. And that's when things went downhill. After dinner, they'd gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And when they did, Peter fell asleep. Then, when they came to arrest Jesus in that garden... Peter got so fired up that he used a sword to cut a soldier's ear off. Nobody messed with Peter's leader, right? He was, he was in it. But Jesus didn't care for that either. And after that came the denials as Jesus was led to the cross. Once, twice, and a third time as the rooster crowed. And then Jesus died. A gruesome death. And Peter grieved. Not just Christ's death, but he also grieved his own denial. Who would Peter trust now? Had Jesus let Peter down? Or had Peter let Jesus down? But then, three days later, right? you know the story, when Mary Magdalene came running up to him to tell him the tomb was empty, Peter ran. He repented. He turned from his denial and ran toward his Savior. He ran right into the empty tomb of Jesus because Jesus was alive. But even with that repentant heart, Peter must have been wondering, will Jesus remember my devotion 
Or will Peter remember my denial? Something incredible happens after that. While the disciples, which included Peter, were gathered inside of a locked house, Jesus just appears inside the home. He shows everyone his hands that have had nails put through them. He shows them his side that's been pierced by the sword. It's really Jesus. And then we read this in John 20, verse 22. After saying this, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, if all that happened to you in a month, your head would be spinning. And yet, in this moment where he's received the Holy Spirit, we recognize that Jesus is is affirming and confirming to Peter, like, you are one of mine. You are forgiven. Peter, fisherman turned fisher of men, devoted follower turned denier, had just received the Holy Spirit of God himself inside of him, from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he breathed on him. That is the grace of God. After this is where we start in John 21. All this has happened, and after this, Jesus revealed himself. So the question becomes, why would Jesus need to do that? He's already given Peter the Spirit. Why would Jesus need to reveal himself? When we struggle to trust... We return to old identities. When we struggle to trust, we return to old identities. And that's what's happening here in John 21 in Peter's story. Look at verse 2 and 3. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. These were the fishermen. And because he's struggling to trust that what has just happened has still affirmed him as a child of God, a fisher of men, as the rock upon which Jesus would build his church, he's struggling to trust that that's all still true. And so he says, I'm going fishing. We're coming with you, they say back, right? They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So much was going to the heart and the head of Peter, they just wasn't sure who or what to trust. So he does something that all of us have done at some point in life. We go back to what we know. We go back to the old us. We go back to something we're comfortable with. We go back to to an old habit or an old place or an old hobby that we feel confident in. Sometimes it's even an old mindset or an understanding of who we are. We fail at something and we tell ourselves or the enemy tells us, right? I guess that just wasn't for me. I'm not good enough to do that. And so we go back, we return to old identities when we struggle to trust. The scripture doesn't tell us how long it took the other disciples to jump in, but I'm guessing it wasn't too long when they said back to Peter, we're coming with you. They're all struggling with this. And, and so they go, they, you can imagine, right? They've got to get their nets ready. They prepare the boat. Like they've got plenty of time to think about this. And, and they're pushing off from the shore and they're returning to their old identities and it's feeling good. You know, we're just getting back out there. We're going fishing again. Only problem is they catch nothing. <laughs> you know, when we struggle to trust, we return to our old identities. And when we do, isn't it true that we often find that our old, our old identities give us nothing in return? If anything, it's this like momentary high, and then you're like, yeah, actually, I realize now that there was nothing here for me. Anytime we're struggling to, cr- to trust Christ, 
We turn to, to what seems like the next best, best thing, and that is ourself. We turn to, to self-care, to self-reliance, to the things that we feel like we can rely on ourselves to give to ourselves, self, self. We begin to look inside of ourselves for the answer to the question, who am I? We, like Peter, start answering that question with questions like, well, what am I good at? Maybe that will help me figure out who I am. Or, or we ask questions like, what makes me happy? Well, fishing with my buddies makes me happy. Let's go. But what happens when the answers to those questions leave you without any fish? Leave you feeling empty? Because perhaps the only thing worse than an empty net is an empty life. You start asking yourself to, to answer life's deep, deepest questions, and you don't realize that what you're doing is making yourself God. Now, there's a lot of really incredible stories and people in our church. Some really, really good people. Like, Caitlin and I love being a part of this church family. You may be a great person, but you are a terrible God. There is no moment more lonely or depressing or scary than the moment you realize that you can't deliver on the promises you've made to yourself. It's isolating. It's depressing. It's scary. Proverbs 14:12 says it this way, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. That night, Peter and his friends caught nothing. And I just want to ask you as as we get ready to see Jesus reveal himself, have you had nights like that? Seasons like that? when things just seem to be coming back empty. In those moments, who can you trust? Who can you trust when you fail at what you're good at? Who can you trust when you don't enjoy the things that used to make you happy? Who can you trust when life is empty? The good news is you can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus to reveal who you are, and he does that by revealing how you can trust him. And what's even crazier is that as you learn to trust him, you find your identity in trusting him, not yourself, because he defines you. So three ways in this, this passage that I want us to see uh, that we can trust Jesus, right? Number one is this. You can trust the promises of Jesus. You can trust the promises of Jesus. It says, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. And when I read that, I can't help but think about Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, because of the Lord's faithful love, we don't perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. And his mercy on this morning was to be standing on the shore. Isn't that a beautiful picture? To think that as you wake up each day, Jesus is standing on the shore of your heart. He's there with new mercy and new faithfulness for you. John 21, 4 and 5 says, When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Friends, he calls out. You don't have any fish, do you? No. Depressing to have to admit that. But isn't that classic Jesus? The friend of sinners? 
When we're struggling to trust, when life feels empty, he comes to us and he recognizes the emptiness in our lives. Romans 5, 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And now, after this, Jesus was preparing to reveal himself in a way that reminded the disciples they could trust his promises. Verse 6, Cast the nets on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. That's the promise. You will find fish on the right side of the boat. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. You can trust the promises of Jesus. In fact, this this moment, this reminder was so impactful for Peter, so emotional that as he realized Jesus was there on the shore keeping his promises, he jumps into the water, half running, half stumbling, like, we're getting ready to go on vacation and we're going to go to the ocean. And you know what this is, right? Like, you get about 50, 100 yards out and it's like you can kind of touch, but you try to run through the water and you're going to end up face planting at least once. You've been there, right? Peter's rumbling, bumbling, stumbling through the ocean trying to get to Jesus. Why? Because he realized that if Jesus would keep this promise of finding fish on the right side of the boat, then Peter could trust that some of the other promises that Jesus had made could be trusted too. In fact, Peter would later write in 2 Peter 1.4, By God's glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature. You can share in the nature of God escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So what are these great promises that Peter's talking? I mean, it's great that Jesus kept his promise of fish on the other side of the boat, but, but what are these promises of God that let you take part in the divine nature to experience the presence of God in your life? I'm reminded of Isaiah 118. To the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says, Come, let's settle this. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. He cleanses you of your sins. And then Jesus himself begins to expand on these promises in the letter in the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. You'll always be in the net. John 6, 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Those are big promises, but you can trust those promises. Not long after, Peter would preach one of those promises of God that we read in Joel 2, 32, when he says that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. As the Lord promised among the survivors, the Lord calls. Isn't Ron's story perfect? He keeps his promises. We need to know him. In this moment on the shore, Jesus is revealing to Peter, you can trust my promises, and he promises to save you if you'll run to him. But you can also trust the purpose of Jesus. As we continue in the story, the the rest of the disciples bring the boat in, net full of fish in tow. And I want you to read with me about what happens next, beginning in verse 9. It says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, something about this story feels a little fishy, because it sounds really familiar 
to another story that we read about in Luke 5. In Luke 5, Peter was still actively running his fishing boat business. And, and, and he'd had one of those nights where he'd caught nothing. Same things going on, right? And when Jesus showed up that day in Luke 5 and asks if Peter will pull out into the lake and let Jesus use his boat as this makeshift platform, and, and he does that, and after he'd finished speaking, Jesus tells Peter to put his nets out. You guessed it, he caught a bunch of fish. It's interesting, though, that Jesus would remind Peter that he could trust his purposes by doing the same thing because there's a difference in the story. In Luke 5, 6, we read this. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. Now, hold on. We just read in this one that the net was not torn. What, why, would, why would they have this little detail in the Gospels? Like, why is this in here? Jesus tells a short parable in Matthew 13 that I think helps us understand. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you see these nets, they're symbolic of the kingdom of heaven, of God's kingdom. And when old fisherman Peter was fishing, the nets tore. Those fish were for his kingdom. But now Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, called to be a fisher of men, has a net that isn't torn to catch fish for the kingdom of God. Jesus is, is restoring and reminding Peter of his one true purpose, to be a fisher of men. He's reminding them that he's still even after he'd made the denial, has a purpose that is bigger than just catching fish. Now, check out, too, how Jesus already had the food ready for this breakfast on the beach. He gives them all these fish out in the net. The net's not torn, but when they get to land, he's already got fish there to eat. And yet he had Peter bring his fish up on the beach. Come have breakfast. Share a meal with me, says Jesus. And Peter just does, like, I'd love to. What can I bring? What can I bring to the meal, Jesus? Jesus says, bring those fish that you just caught up here. Why? You see, this is all a shadow of what's coming for us as believers in Christ. Our purpose is to catch more fish for the kingdom of God. And as we catch them, we get to bring them to the wedding supper of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation 19. This picture, this image, this reality that one day we are going to have a big feast around a marriage, right? Like, like a marriage feast as the church and Christ come together. This breakfast on the beach is a shadow of that meal in heaven. And we share in that same purpose that Peter had to bring fish to the wedding feast of the Lamb. You know, in our community group, um, we, we will often ask, hopefully every week, but if not often, Hey, anybody have a Jesus conversation this week? And, you know, this crazy thing happens every single time. Every time someone shares about a Jesus conversation that they had, it's really clear that they knew exactly what their purpose was in that moment. Nobody, nobody ever says, yeah, I had this Jesus conversation the other day. 
I have no clue why I was there or why God would put me in that place to talk to that person. I'm just really searching for purpose in life. That never happens. You have a Jesus conversation, you're like, man, the Lord had me in this moment. He, he's like, this is my purpose in life. I got to share Jesus, the hope of the good news of the gospel. And man, we got to pray together or we got to, I got to invite them to church. Like whatever it was, right? Like in those moments where we have Jesus conversations, where we go fishing, our purpose is never more clear. We know. And that same thing is happening for, for Peter right here in this moment. But even in this moment, right? You might be more like Peter than you think. Because there's still this elephant in the room. Jesus and Peter still hadn't talked about that piercing denial. Maybe you can relate. Like, you trust the promises of God, and being reminded that you still have purpose is really good. It feels great. But, but there's just some things in your life that aren't God-honoring. There's things that are still hanging out there. Maybe it's a denial in the sense that, that you haven't invited God into something that, that you're going through. Maybe it's a denial in the sense that instead of trusting God to remove a sin from your life, you've just decided it is what it is, and you're content to leave it be. Maybe it's a denial that, that God knows better than you that, like, that, that keeps you from trusting him, right? Like there's all kinds of little denials inside of our hearts. But whatever it is, this last one is huge. You can trust the patience of Jesus. You can trust the patience of Jesus. John 21, 15. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. Now, first, I want us to notice the name that Jesus uses to address Peter. Simon, son of John. All three times, it's the same. You know, there's often something behind biblical names, and I believe that's true here as well. Simon, you see, means, means to hear or to listen. John means graced by God. So every time Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, it means a little more. Listen, you're graced by God. Do you love me? Listen, you're graced by God. Do you love me? Many have said that the repetition of the question three times is to mirror Peter's denials. And whether it is or it isn't, the message is clear. Listen, you're graced by God. You're already forgiven. Do you love me? Verse 17. He asks him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. And how could he not be, right? Like, Jesus, like, why do you keep asking? He said, Lord, you know everything. Isn't that frustrating sometimes? You're like, why do I feel like I'm getting questions from God when he knows everything? You know that I love you, Peter says. Feed my sheep. Peter raises a really valid point. Why did Jesus keep asking when he already knew the answer? Simon, listen. You see, Jesus didn't need to hear Peter's answer. Peter did. Peter needed to know that he loved Jesus. You know that I love you, said Peter. And Jesus is saying, yes, but I need you to know that you love me. And so I will patiently 
keep asking you the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Until you hear that you are graced by God, that you are loved by him, Simon, son of John. How much did Peter love him? Well, Jesus goes on to say something that not only helps Peter see how much he's changed, but, but to give him hope that his life will continue to look more and more like Jesus in verse 18. Truly I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. Jack Kelly in our community group says, you were young and stupid. You did what you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands. And someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. Peter, you may have denied me on the way to the cross. You wanted to do your own thing in those moments. You wanted to look out for you and you alone. But as we keep walking together, patiently letting me show you how much you love me and how much I love you, as we do that together, you're going to end up in a place where you will literally die for me before you deny me. You know, Jesus comes to you like he came to Peter. The details may not, they, they may change, right? We're, we're not old, old fishermen, but we all have these old identities that we return to. But the promises are true. And you can trust those promises to give you purpose. And you can trust the patience of Jesus to walk with you, no matter how messed up things in your life are right now no matter how chaotic or how far away from him you've walked, no matter how bad things might be for you right now as you like, try to trust him. How do I even get to trusting him, Blake? I, like He just seems so far and distant, and I'm not walking with him. But as you do that, you can trust the patience of Jesus. He'll walk with you after breakfast through the hardest seasons of life. He'll help you to trust again. He'll ask you the questions that show you the truth. He'll give you the grace to trust him more. On a summer day around 1880, a couple hundred years ago, Louisa Stead and her husband George took their young daughter, Lily, to Brighton Beach on Long Island Sound for a picnic. A beach picnic. Little family. Picturesque. Beautiful day. While enjoying their day together, though, they suddenly heard cries for help. It was a young boy who was drowning. He was struggling out in the tide offshore. And without hesitation, Louise's husband, George, plunged into the water in an attempt to save this boy. He goes out to try and save him. And Louisa and their daughter, Lily, watched helplessly from the shore as the boy... Louise's husband and Lily's dad died in the waves that day. Their world shattered before their eyes. Despair threatened to engulf them both after experiencing this terrible loss. And in the darkest moments following loss and grief that was just so profound, everything shattered. It was Jesus who showed up on the shores of Louise's heart. She turned to the one constant in her life, her Savior Jesus Christ. And as she wrote and journaled and tried to trust Jesus more each day, through prayer and tears, these were the words that came out. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. 
just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord, that his plans, right, were, were to be trusted, that he was there and with her. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Jesus showed up on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias that day, and it was pure grace to Peter. That was grace given to Peter so that he could trust Jesus more. Peter ended that day enjoying the grace and patience of Jesus, but it started by urgently running to him through the water, getting away from that old fishing identity and coming to Jesus. And so as the band comes back up today, I have to ask you the question that Ron asked you, is today the day that you come to Jesus? Is today the day that you repent and you run to him like Peter, splashing through the water, messy, unsure, not knowing what Jesus is going to say, but knowing with all certainty that you need his grace, you need his help to trust him more. As the band starts to play here in a minute, I'm going to be down here in the front and Katie and Kenny are going to be in the back and we just want to invite you to come. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to say anything. Just, just come. And we're going to walk with you like, hopefully, like Jesus would. Just leading you to his grace and to his throne. And if today, like, you're thinking, maybe that's me and maybe I'm supposed to do that, but I don't know and I'm unsure and I'm uncertain, I want you to know this. The leaders in this room of our church right now are praying for you. They're praying against anything that would keep you from coming to Jesus because we want you to experience the grace of trusting Jesus more. You know, after you run to him, he invites you to a meal. And today, if you're a baptized believer in Christ, he invites you to the Lord's Supper. Eric and Sherry will serve you. Make your way to the outside and take the bread and the juice that reminds us of Christ's death on the cross. Where his blood became the sacrifice for our sins where our sins became white as snow. And then together, we're going to come back and we're just going to sing and ask for grace to trust Jesus more. It's today the day that you come to Jesus, that he gives you grace to trust him more. We pray for us as we get ready to respond. Jesus, we pray. That for anyone here who is uncertain about eternal life, for anyone here who uh, is struggling to trust, we pray that you would give them grace. That Even in that moment, just like you breathe the Spirit out into the disciples, that the Holy Spirit would rest on those who don't know you. Convict them of sin and say, man, just run to Jesus. He has grace enough for you. We pray against any pride. We pray against any procrastination. Lord, we pray against the things that would keep people from coming to you, and we pray that you would give us grace to trust you more in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.